Black Rifle Podcast starts now. How about that Jeep? How about that Jeep life? Wow. So yesterday, well, to give everybody a summary, we came down to Moab. Myself, Mike, Andy Stump, Denver, uh, Pete from Origin, uh, the Diesel Brothers were down here. Legacy Expeditions. Tim Kennedy. So Tim Kennedy, like, how could I forget Tim? Like, so we put this stock Jeep, which you, you can talk about, through, I think, probably one of the, the, the most difficult off-road experiences imaginable. Like, I, I would imagine this is like a 1% category of users do this. So tell us a little bit about this this vehicle that you just like threw out into the fucking mix yesterday. Well, so context, we we were doing a jump for charity, mm-hmm. bringing attention to Folds of Honor through Legacy Expeditions, and then also hanging out with friends. Mm-hmm. And we were in Mineral Bottom, which is the bottom of this gorge. Uh, essentially, it's a gorge. And it's along the river, the Colorado River. Beautiful. Some of the most epic scenery in Moab, which mm-hmm. is saying something, because Moab as a whole is beautiful. beautiful. And after we got done jumping, because there's a runway that we were using for both fixed wing and rotary wing uh, assets that we had to jump, we decided to take the northern route out, except one of the mapping softwares, I think it was base map, yeah. had the wrong, had the route. Mm-hmm. And it was a rough route, but it went north versus the route that we came to, uh, came down into, which was like a, a chicane coming down uh, the bottom of the canyon. So we decided to take an alternate route because we wanted to overland. Mm-hmm. We wanted to, to test both Andy's rig um, and my new rig, which is a, a Jeep JL. It's a newer model Jeep, a 2023. Uh, with 5,000 miles on it, a 392, which is the Rubicon, but it has the V8 Hemi engine in it. So a lot more power. And we decided to take that route, Andy let out, and it started getting like rough. Like it was a rough road. And I look, I teach mobility experiences and this whole thing for a living. Like I teach off-road instruction. We use Kurt Williams, Clay Croft. the, the best in the overlanding space to educate you, everything from maintenance, recovery, uh, off-road techniques, living out of your rig, survival, first aid, all the things. And I was like, whoa, this is, this is a difficult route. And all of a sudden it game became a lot difficult where you needed a rock crawler. Yeah. You, needed, you need 40 inches of tire at a minimum to get through some of these sections. So I was, I was locked up front and rear differential uh, lockers on. And I was in four low, which for my off-road guys know, that's like, hey, most places that you even off-road in America, you don't even need four-wheel drive. This was different. Um, Off-camber, bouldering, um, water, obstacles, all the things. We get to the end of this, where we're about to, we think it's the end of this, and Andy's Bronco hits a sharp rock and punctures, because there's no skid plate there, punctures the transmission and p- punctures the pan, the tranny pan. 
and we got transmission fluid everywhere because it's a newer car it has a default setting where it shuts down so it doesn't you don't do any further damage and it goes into limp mode essentially anyways we pull it out of the way and we say we're going to leave it we continue on our route we're three hours into this route three hours into a drive going five miles an hour crawling over sections and we hit a dead end at night this is like seven o'clock at night we hit a dead end and realize the base map was wrong. The route that it was proclaimed wasn't a route at all. And whether it was washed out or whatever it was, we essentially had to backtrack the opposite direction that we came. So we did so and round, you know, round trip was a seven hour trip. We lost Andy's Bronco. We had a side puncture. I have beadlocks on that Jeep. I have 37 inch wheels, method uh, bead locks, had a side puncture, had to do a, 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 a change. I mean, we changed that tire pretty fast. That was good teamwork. Mm -hmm. Timmy lifting it off like a gorilla, you um, turning the, um, um, the wrenches and we got it done really fast. I mean, I, I think you jacked it up. Yeah. So anyways, long story short, seven hours. A whole bunch of lessons learned and uh, quite the experience, which is why we had a lot of coffee this morning. Yeah, I, well, number one, that was a long day. So long it was day. a long day. Mike and I set out probably what, 7.30 in the morning is when we took off? Yeah, yeah so we, had a, we, had a, we were the DZ party, yeah. so we had to set up the drop zone. So we had a 7.30 departure here we drove a couple hours out to the DZ, the airfield. We we did a a quick what I would say is a, a survey, not not an official survey, but then we set up the the drop zone for everybody to come in. Mm -hmm. And um, we were expecting to be out there for the day, and we were going to capture some off road, some overland stuff on the way out. But the main point was we we're trying to provide some visibility for. A, a great nonprofit. I mean, Legacy Expeditions have been doing a lot of stuff for Folds of Honor. Folds of Honor does incredible work within, you know, the 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 veteran community, and we just kind of threw a bunch of shit in the back to include my bucket, uh, which Mike didn't like, and uh, we spent all morning up until about three at the the DZ. We we're doing. Elevators with helicopters. We had three different helicopters out there. Were you, I, didn't we have four at one point? Four we had, helicopters? We had four helos. At one yeah. Point, yeah. The Diesel uh, Brothers brought yeah. their friends and helicopters. Yeah. And then, and then Voodoo, Voodoo Air came Air. out. Yeah. Uh, former Ranger. Good dude. He came out. Uh, but we weren't expecting what we what we kind of went into in the in the in the aftermath because we just expected hey we're going to do some overlanding on the way out we're we're going to capture some content do some really you know some time lapse stuff around you know more what i would say is an aggressive route we did not expect what we ran into which was this was a very technical route uh, Andy has basically a stock Bronco, right? I mean, he, he's I, got a stock Bronco and 37s, the yeah, three inch lift. Yeah. 
but everything else is stock. It did amazing. Up until that point, that Bronco was very impressive. Mike and I kept talking about how, like, wow, this Bronco is really performing out here. Uh, this is not a commercial for any of these guys either. We were just very impressed with the way that this thing handled. It's insane. It, it's insane. I was blown away at what your Jeep did comparatively. One, it had an exceptional amount of horsepower. The capabilities in it were exceptional. Uh, the lessons learned, because there's kind of a, a, a long list of lessons learned there. Yeah. So lessons learned, like top, top to bottom, prepare for the worst, hope for the best. I just kind of like threw a bunch of shit into a bucket and like rolled out there. I, I take this bucket, I've got this bucket where it's like a Yeti bucket that they sent me a couple years ago. I loaded up with like all my coffee gear because it's like ceramic mugs and all this crazy shit. And the bucket is a hard exterior that will prevent that stuff from being broken, basically. So it's a I Yeti carry, bucket. Huh? It's a Yeti bucket. Yeah, it's a Yeti bucket. And yeah, it's too bougie, but I wouldn't, it, it, it was sent to me by Yeti because. But why'd you bring it? Why did I bring it out there? Yeah, because you didn't have coffee stuff in it. You just carried a bucket. I loaded a bunch of stuff into it. Yeah, but what was it? It took a third of the space that we needed. Let's not get into the the, <laughs> the details of why I was carrying a bucket. Because I was like, do you have coffee stuff? And you you didn't have coffee stuff. You had some RT. Did you have RTDs? No, yes. no, Andy yeah. had RTDs. Yeah. Uh, we, we don't need to get into the reasons why I brought the bucket. <laughs> There's something going on with this bucket. There's something. No, I just, I. it's easy. It's got a big surface. I throw a bunch of shit into it. You're using that as your like yeah, your as your, daily like, carry. Not not my your, daily carry, yeah. but I was just using it as a convenient way in order to get like a bunch of supplies out to somewhere. But so what I'd was like, in it? I'd like my camera and a bunch of other you know. Why would you carry your Leica inside of a bucket? Once again, it's a hard exterior and you put so, some soft stuff on the front on the top of it. You can't get fucking smashed. Like it's it's a it's a it's a very it's a utilitarian piece of equipment. You never know when you're going to You never know when you're going to need a bucket. The other thing is you never just, you just, you never know. Uh, Lots of lessons learned. First and foremost, Moab is incredible. Beautiful. Uh, There's so many different places. I I, I saw that straight away, which is there's there's so many different places you can go. You can camp, you can take your family, and they're very accessible. It's really beautiful. This time of year. God, so beautiful. It's incredible. Number two you know, you, you teach this stuff for a living from a mobility perspective. Um, that Jeep was amazing. Like it was absolutely amazing. When we, when we got up there and we had to turn around, um, you know, we were, there's a combination of things, which is there's five guys. So it's Andy, Denver, Tim Kennedy, Mike Glover, me. And we're packed into this Jeep on the way out. Not one of us complained about anything. We're just like, okay, cool. We're like, we got to turn around. We got to go over here. You know, we had to hike around. We were looking for different routes. We were joking around the entire time. And, uh, and then we blew the tire. It was a big sidewall gash. Wasn't, there's no way that we could have fixed it. It was, it was done. And we didn't even say anything. We just started changing the tire. We threw it out. I was thinking about that from what I would say is a stoic perspective. All of us are very stoic. 
we just assume bad things are going to happen. So whatever happens, we're like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, hey, this makes for a great story. It makes for a great adventure. None of us got irritated or angry. We didn't like have any any negative vibes whatsoever. We're just like, this place is amazing. It's awesome. So one of the things I took away from that is, you know, one, we had a very capable group of people that were very confident in our abilities, not only to solve the problem, but two, the worst thing that would have happened to us is we would have we would have walked out of it. I mean, what I say is like the worst thing that could have happened to us is that we would have gotten to a rollover or something like that. A Jeep have, broke down, yeah. Yeah, Jeep breakdown, but I didn't I didn't worry about a rollover scenario because you're a very competent and proficient driver. We wouldn't put ourselves into a situation where we're going to be so out of uh, what I would say is comfort and capability where we would have put ourselves into a rollover scenario. Mm -hmm. I just we just know our limitations yeah. really well. We weren't close. So yeah. we weren't really close. Now, accidents happen outside of an accident that you can't predict. What I was really impressed with is just all of us were whatever. We take it as we go. The worst thing that happens is we got to build a fire. We'll get warm. We'll drink a bunch of water, crossload all our shit, and walk out of the canyon. But not one time was I... Oh no. <laughs> Whereas yeah. that would have completely melted down 90%, 90 plus percent of all humans. But then you got like, you know, Andy, fucking SEAL Team Six guy, like Denver, former CEO of a company, a publicly traded company in Australia, very competent jujitsu, like outdoorsman, great guy. You, you teach overland this stuff guy. for a living. Yeah, he's an overland guy. You're super competent. So we just had all all these insane skills and we could just go do it. I'm just like, yeah, well, let's go do it. We'll figure it out. I think that's such a, a cool feeling to have collected so many different friendships, relationships and capabilities where you just go and figure it out because most people in order to do that, one, they would have prepped for weeks, weeks, two, they would have put themselves into a situation where they would have been completely fucked physically and psychologically because if they couldn't walk their ass out of there, if they didn't have, you know, SATCOM capability or, you know, Garmin in reach, all these different things were just kind of like unconsciously competent and we just take for granted. Um, so my, my, my question to you is, going through that yesterday, what are some of the things that you learned that that can make you better in that situation the next time you know part of it was when we left out I, we didn't do a good map recon right of the imagery but but also part of it was we accepted that we're going to it, it wasn't because of incompetence that we said we are not going to pay attention to what's going on specifically like the route um andy and denver picked up the route they had the imagery and if we would have looked at the imagery, we would have established probably the same um, mm -hmm. end result. We're going to go and we're going to explore this and see what, see what we run into. So I, I, I don't know if I have as many lessons learned as much as I have, you know, a desire for specific equipment in some cases. Right. But we had everything. I mean, we had an inReach. Yeah. We had... Uh, the ability to SOS on multiple devices. We had the first aid kit. We had the water. We had the chow. 
Um, not enough to feed Tim Kennedy. No. Um, he was like eating crumbs of protein bars that I left mm. on the ground. He just was like, I mean, that dude needs to fuel his massive body, uh, like 90% muscle. It sounds like you have maybe a thing. I've, I've just paid attention about. consciously right. to his right. abs. Um, but here's what I'll say. If we could have left behind your bucket, we would have been in a better situation, both ergonomically mm -hmm. from a, a overlanding perspective. And when you decided consciously that the bucket was gonna take up nearly half of the real estate we had, mm -hmm. you really impeded our ability to transport our loadout, which facilitated survival. At the point in which you used the bucket as a containment device to put other people's stuff, because you accepted the reality of the circumstance, and you let your arrogance come down just a notch, I would say like, like on a Rolex, it has a gear, and then that gear that you can't see with the naked eye, it's very small tooth. Like take the space between the teeth yeah. that you can't actually see without right. a microscope. Right. You, that was the notch of arrogance that you were able to subside with mm -hmm. giving us the ability to utilize your bucket so graciously. Like I said, I, I don't want to go into the bucket. <laughs> I don't want to... If you, if you think about what we did yesterday, you think about all the the. It was team week in selection. <laughs> it was a good. It was it was it was really interesting because we coordinated and planned a a an event around. We started a couple hours away the night before on a brief. Those guys put together an air brief. They briefed it. We. Came back into Moab, you and I stayed here, then we drove out, we set up a DZ. So we had, you know, unknown locations. You and I had never been there, right? So we had unknown locations. We're just driving out to essentially a grid, which super easy. It's not it's just like you and I are having a conversation. We didn't even think about what we were doing. We're just like driving out there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we had our DZ kit, so we set up, you know, our our arrow. We put up well. There's a windsock out there, but we put out the the, the arrow for the landing the the landing zone itself. Uh, you are coordinating with aircraft via comms. We had you know first aid, water, all the ground support. Mm -hmm. You know unknown link up. We coordinated a link up in an unknown. When I say unknown location, none of us had ever been out there with a parachute jump mm -hmm. to start before we went into one of the most technical overland scenarios you could go into. By by the way, we're all just wearing like hoodies and jeans, hoodies and jeans, and I I couldn't help but think, man, I got I got awesome friends, man. Yeah, like I got awesome friends. Like, and I, this isn't some type type of weird flex. I'm I'm more structuring this from the point of view of who do you spend your time with. Mm. Like, who are those people that are influencing your life? How are they influencing your life? And how important it is to spend time with quality people? Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about, like, whether or not they know how to do overland. I, that's, that's irrelevant. I'm saying this is a very complex, hyper-technical execution of a bunch of skills that are essentially unconsciously competent at to the point of which we could pull this out of our back pocket and make it fucking happen. Wow. 
And so I, I was driving out with you, obviously, in the back as you were trying to rally your vehicle in scenarios that we only had one vehicle, uh, which I thought was a little bit just absurd. Um, but hey, yeah. you know, I had a bucket in back, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not immune to absurdity either. Yeah. Uh, but I kept thinking about these guys have a bunch of cool skills, but the, the greatest thing about these dudes is they're good people that influence me in a very positive way. Mm -hmm. It's like, we talk about our families. We talk about what kind of fathers we want to be. These are really deep, meaningful, and impactful conversations we're having with, they are. I was thinking about the handy conversation we had on the way down. Yeah. And I was thinking of how that related to what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. You're so virtuous as you were saying it. Yeah, yeah. But then the handy conversation that we talked about nearly an hour of right. how you would give me and a justify handy. a potential handy, yeah. how that would unfold. I, I like how we're, we're, we're doing one of the most <laughs> technically specific things. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're contact switching between like parachuting out of helicopters, running a DZ, you know, landing helicopters in and out, like going into this, this like off-road scenario. Meanwhile, most of what we're talking about is just complete absurdity. We were, we were talking about how maybe Tim and Andy had walked off into the night and just like brushed each other's hands at one point and then looked at each other longingly in the eyes and then moved in for, for, a, kiss. for a little kiss. A little smooch. These are the things like I don't necessarily miss the operations and I don't miss the guys because I already have like basically a team room, right? Yeah. I have a team room. I've always had a team room. I've always had a group of guys that we can flip back and forth between and it's the juxtaposition between complete asinine absurdity to we're accomplishing the most serious of things. And by the way, nobody was too serious at any point in time. So we're down to no tires, one vehicle, one vehicle that was just like left. By the way, most people, if they would have scraped that transmission pan and blown out their fluid in the middle of this canyon, probably would have had a, a, an emotional and psychological meltdown. And he's they would have like, hit SOS on their Garmin. It would have been SOS on their Garmin. And he was just like, yeah, okay, so let's crossload the vehicle. Uh, we'll, we'll figure it out or we'll just fucking burn this thing in place and roll out. He didn't escalate one point of his conversation, which is another really crucial and important point that I want to make. Psychology is more infectious than the flu. The people that you surround yourself with, they're so important to the way that you behave. That's a good point. And if what, if we would have had one shit bag, Last night, if we would have had one shit back, you know how much miserable, how much more miserable that would have been if we would have had some oh, guy yeah. that was like complaining and like like escalating the 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 circumstance. We would have been miserable. Yeah. Not only miserable, we would have been like maybe looking at ways we could just leave that guy. It brings a, a good point because um, there was something really cool about the chemistry that we all had, but just making a clear delineation. This isn't a military thing mm -mm. because Denver, who's very much a civilian, who by his standards and himself follows 
nearly a script that we've established for ourselves, mm -hmm. which, by the way, isn't a military characteristic. I, I mean, there's basic principles there of discipline and, you know, all these values that we, we uh, fall, fall in love with in the military. But Denver blended in perfectly. Perfectly. And so all of the guys are just gravitated towards each other. And I, I want to say, like, we're the same guy, but we're not the same guy. We're very different human beings with very different opinions and very different perspectives. But as a core of who we are, like, I noticed many times there were instances where it, you could be chaotic. Oh, yeah. You could, you could fall apart. You could literally go, dude, this is insane. What are we going to do? But that was never even a consideration. I mean, everybody was just working. Denver was spotting. Um, Tim and you walked the, the trails looking for this route, and we just figured it out. Mm -hmm. It was just really fun. I, I honestly think, as a, an overall experience, it was just fun because it was a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. It br brought us closer together. And, and that's the benefit of setting your cell phone down and going out to the outdoors and doing some of these things. Mm -hmm. uh, like you could, you, I mean, you could have these experiences not as dramatic as ours and build a, a closer connection with people, you know, get off your cell phone and stop investing so much in social interactions and do so with interpersonal interactions. And, and we talked about it and we have to, we always constantly check ourselves in some form or fashion which is accountability, holding your friends accountable and holding yourself accountable, we need to do it more often. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so should people. Yeah, I think I was struck multiple times throughout the evening, which is, and I try to take myself out of it, and it's, it's, it's not necessarily about me. I'm just you know relaying my experience in, in the sense of I'm right rifleman, right? I'm, I'm like, and when I say that to, to everyone, it's, Right Rifleman Snuffy is like the guy that's just carrying the rifle in the formation that really doesn't have any any responsibility of leadership or anything. He's just like covering down a sector of fire. In this scenario, you have to you have to go back and forth between right rifleman and team you know, leader. Team leader. You, yeah. you just and you find that's the other thing is all of us were always looking for work. We we're always looking for places where we can plug in to create value. We weren't trying to talk over you if you're trying to work through a scenario. We were applying a bunch of ideas at the same time, and then you're like, hey, but this is what we're gonna do. And then we would do it. Or Andy would come up with a plan, and he'd say, hey, this is what we're gonna do, and this is what we're gonna do it. Or this is how we're gonna do it. And then we were listening to the group, so we're picking up all this information, we're listening to it, we're not so attached to our egos mm. that we had to be heard at all points in time, or we had to be the person that's in charge, or we're not conveying any value to the group. It was, it was a very interesting group experience, and I've been trying to figure out why this community and why this, these, these, these relationships are so meaningful to, to most of us, how deeply connected we are and a lot of it is we just know how to apply the correct amount of skills and also communicate effectively, be good listeners, be to, to be a good to be a good leader, and these are buzzwords, right? To be a good leader, you have to be a good follower. You have to know when to follow, know when to lead. 
I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm the CEO and so are you, right? And so is Andy and all these different guys. Like, so is Tim. We're all CEOs, by the way. Not one of us wanted Dem to. So is Denver. Yeah, so is Denver. That's yeah. right. And all of us were CEOs. Five CEOs. Not one person needed to be in charge last night other than the person that had the best plan. Mm -hmm. So it was a, a meritocracy in what is the best idea? How are we going to, going to accomplish the mission? What are the, the, the goals and objectives? Who's going to lend the most capabilities to the problem? Who's going to plug in and create value? Nobody was trying to vie for the podium, which I think is such an interesting form of group psychology because we've seen that implode so many times with so many different types of personalities where they, for whatever reason, they can't check their ego. I don't exactly know. They're, I don't exactly know what it is, but there's people they they got to be in charge all the time, or they've got to be heard, or they've got to have the best idea, or they've got they've got to prove something to a group. All of us were just having fun. We we're you know laughing and telling jokes and trying to fuck off. And I just think that 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 is is something like very special mm. in in a group psychology circumstance all of us had fun we, we talked about it in the vehicle um pertaining to some of our friends including ourselves where in social media like even in this podcast what i hope to accomplish in long-form conversations <laughs> is people getting to know who we are yeah right that that's an added benefit when you're just being genuine yeah when, when you want to when you don't want to be genuine you have talking points and you don't deviate from the script and you don't want anybody else to deviate from the script you get the questions ahead of time and you have this way of operating because you're afraid of the vulnerability and the long-form conversation when you get glimpses of tim kennedy you get a certain perspective or perception mm -hmm. and then you lean on other people's voices and opinions to form and shape your own. It's the same thing with us, people in public perception, right? You could clip you can clip a video and say, I don't, I don't believe in dry firing, which isn't true. I mean, I I mean Evans know me, my my entire post military and also agency career. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I'm a competent shooter, a competent tactician. Um, but also I would never say something like don't dry fire but because a clip was cut and a mm -hmm. person said something that wasn't true then that forms an external opinion about you that creates a misperception and then people jump on the bandwagon mm -hmm. at the end of the day when you're friends with somebody like tim kennedy like you with andy we know who we are because we know at the root when we have private conversations about our families about tragedies and trauma and all the things we know who exactly who we are. And I think I what I gleaned from last night is that we genuinely at the core know who we are, which is why we're able to interoperate without arrogance and ignorance. And and we don't have to veil or or shield or create these artificial walls between us and and virtue signal. So what you see is what you get. And and if you're willing to listen to longer form conversation and 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 follow along in the ride or the journey 
maybe we'll learn from each other. You know, it's, I think that's why Rogan's podcast is so effective. Mm -hmm. That's why at the core we defend people like Tim Kennedy and each other, because we know who we are. Like the idea that, you know, you're somehow, I'm somehow an extremist or domestic terrorist because I train people on preparedness, or that you're a Democrat because you uh, donate to Tulsi Gabbard. <laughs> like all these things just, what I've realized is there's a thing and, it, and I talk about it like a, as it relates to sound. I like the analogy because um, people who people who experience this can relate to it. Mm. If you're in combat, if you're at the origin of sound, if you're at the site of a, a flashbang, you feel the concussion. You rec you see the flash. You hear it, and it hurts your ears. But the further away you are from that, the more you have to make assumptions about what you're perceiving because you don't feel it, you didn't see it, right. but, but maybe you heard it. And so you make things up. And so we're at the origin of, of sound between me and you because we're friends and we know that, but everybody else is getting, and, th and this is a, an analogy for people that are online, that are uh, on the internet, you're not getting the origin of sound. You're not there at the site. You're not seeing the flash go bang. We are. and. And that's the root of like interpersonal relationships. Uh, uh, what we talked about it on Focal Point, one of the, the shows that we're doing together. Um, and we talked about how, you know, people spend a lot of time on social media trying to keep up with the Kardashians. Mm -hmm. But that's not reality. You know, reality is going out and doing cool, sh cool stuff with your friends and building those relationships interpersonally and not caring what the world thinks. We didn't have media with us. This wasn't for a show. This, we didn't do spot or peer reports because it was part of an experience. This was just friends going out in the field and, and building relationships with each other. It yeah, was fun. It, it's so important. I think you have, th there's this split effect, which is who you are, who you are authentically and what the appearance of you are. And what's, I think, what people in, in what social media does is it causes people to be inauthentic and lead them to, to generate an appearance of themselves that is not the same. And that is, is, that's an injustice to who they are because they can't be themselves. And ultimately, they don't know who they are because they're splitting the appearance versus the, who they are authentically. And you and I, you know, like us, don't like us. Um, I think we, we give people an accurate picture as to who we are. Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't show a lot of my, my family in a lot of what I do because like my kids are six and in in nine, and my my wife's not really even on social media because she's chosen to just not be on it. But I also feel that my kids aren't giving like my kids haven't given me permission. You know, like if I go to my kids and my kid, you want to be at a commercial, and they say yes, but I I, I tend to kind of shy away from those things. Mm. Um, and but I give people a very real picture as to what's happening in the company. You know, I mean, we, we do shows fucking once a week and 
I think the next couple of years, the kind of transition out of the role of CEO into chairman, I start talking more about deep and meaningful connections with people. What does it mean to generate a relationship where we have conversations about any and all things, right? So you and I have conversations about our family. We have conversations about business. We have conversations about, you know, psychology or physical performance, like every jobs. handies. And I don't feel like I, I don't feel like I have to be anyone other than myself. I can just like talk to you about anything I got going on. You know, like I have a neck issue going on, same, similar, if not same issue that Mike has going on. And I can talk to you about like, hey man, I'm really like, I feel like shit, I feel like pain, but I also check in with you. Like I'm like, hey man, how are you doing? Because I care about you, not because I'm not posting it on social media going, I checked in with Mac today because it makes me fucking feel like a badass. No, it's because I authentically care about what you're doing, what you're doing in your life. And I think to be a good partner, domestic or other, <laughs> no, I, th I think you, if you're looking for ways that you can create value for someone else in their life, it, it starts to put you in a different frame of mind versus how, how is this guy going to make my life better? Yeah. Versus, versus how can I make your life better? Yeah. It becomes way more transactional. And I, I heard this the other day. I thought it was very interesting. Um, information just in general. And I'm kind of in this uh, very, I've been reading a lot of philosophy. So I've been going through all from uh, the, the, from, pre-Socrates to post-Socrates and then Socrates through Plato and Aristotle and then down through a bunch of others. But Socrates had these three filters of information that he would put out. And, it, and, I, and I forget exactly what the direct translation is, but it's three filters, which is in the, the story as it plays out is uh, somebody comes to Socrates and they say, I somebody in your uh, a close friend of yours has been speaking ill of you. And he says, okay, did you put it through the three filter test? And he's like, I, no, I, I don't know what it is. And he's like, well, number one, is it true? And he said, I don't know. Okay. Number one, is it true? Number two, is it useful? Is it useful to me? So is this you saying this? So is it true? Do you know if, if it's factual? Number two, is it useful? Um, and then if, if, if it isn't, he goes, I, I, just, I don't think it is useful. Number three, is it good? If I make a joke, it doesn't mean that it has to be true, but is it useful? Yeah, did it make you laugh? Is it good? Yeah, because it made you laugh. Like, it's fucking funny. Mm -hmm. So you can put it through a filter test. You can put it through everything through a filter test. I've been trying to pull these tidbits of information out of from philosophy from like great philosophers there's another one where they were taught and i think it was uh plato or aristotle they were talking about categorizing relationships in your life and if you have all these relationships you know be wary of the person that has a lot of friends you know it's like treat that treat that person with with uh with, with maybe at arm's length but there are layers of different types of friends that you have in your life and you have like transactional people. So it's just people that are like business transactions that are more acquaintances. And then you have 
person, people that are a little bit closer, and you have your real tight-knit friends where you can rely on them. And people have kind of already come up with these different categories already, and it's been spoken about quite a bit. But the point that I'm making is that don't let transactional friends, the people that are there to, to use you for the things that you have, don't let those people poorly influence you into thinking that they're a close and personal friend because they'll sell themselves as such. Mm. And you can be, you can be duped very easily. Mm. And it's like, it's like, uh, my brother-in-law, I think I were talking about this a few months ago where he has guys that he just plays golf with and it's very transactional. They're fun. They're good people to hang out with. They're not the guys that are going to like dig them out of a Canyon. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like how many, how many people in your life are willing to do yeah. that? You know, how many people could you call right now and they'll bail you out? They'll, yeah. they'll drive across, fly across, whatever it takes to help you. And that's rare nowadays. I mean, for, for people, I, I think in, in general, it's rare for people to have a friend group. You know, we talk about it as like the sum of five. It's, and this is, I, I find this to be true across um, my life experience. The five closest human beings to, to me really affect the culmination of who I am, mm-hmm. Colle- the collective of who I am. So if you have four rad f- friends, but you have one dude who's like a drug addict, he's addictive uh, as, a, as a personality trait, and he's, he's, he's a poor role model for his, his, uh, his kids or his spouse. I've had those in my life, even, even of recent. Right. And, and I was like, well, that's weird. I have all these good friends and they bring me up. And then I have this one friend that brings me down and he's not respected by his children. Mm. And he doesn't have a relationship with anybody outside of, um, outside of me. That's weird. And, and then when I relinquished that and, and focused on really the quality of the people I surround myself with, that really improved my life. And whether it was just like by proxy benefit mm-hmm. of getting some of that good, you know, love and nurturing from your friends or that good reality, that good dose of reality, you need people who just aren't going to be yes men for you. Mm-hmm. You need guys who you surround yourself with that, that are giving you real user feedback that is going to help you. Mm-hmm. I mean, every CEO wants that. I think every friend, every person wants a friend that is real with them. Um, I used to have, I've had many exes uh, as far as relationships. Hell yeah. Um, It's a weird flex in the middle of this conversation. It's a a weird flex. But I'm just going to put it out there. It's fine. I think it's great. Really attractive exes. Super hot. Super hot. What what Mike really meant to say was like, hey guys, I've had a bunch of super hot exes. No big deal. No big deal. Yeah. One looked like Megan Fox. Yeah, just really (laughs) attractive women. But... um, a lot of their friends, I notice, because women's friendship, especially for attractive women, is re- like attractive people overall have this issue, but especially attractive women. If you're an attractive woman, you are really mistreated by women overall mm. because of je- jealousy and envy. But that happens to guys, not necessarily because of being attractive. Like you are not very attractive. No, no. But because not. of your position and your and the and the role and the person you are, for a lot of people, 
they mistreat you in different ways. Like, mm -hmm. again, like a transactional friend that's pretending to be a real friend, but when shit hits the fan, they're not there. It is, it, it, it is tough to find a circle of five human beings that are really good people to make you better, but do your best to do that and cut away the people who aren't. I, Matt Graham, uh, that's a good point. Matt Graham called me the Matt Graham owns Aries Watches. He's, mm. a, he's a good friend of ours, Mike, and I've known him for a long time. He called me the other day. He said, hey, I'm really struggling with the naysayers, like people that tell me, you know, speak negatively of me and, and my business and what I'm building. And I'm like, do yourself a favor, man. Like, I've, I've, I've done this for 10 years. There's a couple things I'm, I'm really good at, which is triaging. You know, what, what's, what's important, what isn't important. I go, the, the, one of the things that you can do right now, and I, I would highly suggest this, like just from a personal perspective, is go through your, go through your contacts list. And anybody that is not creating what I would say is emotional, psychological value for you, meaning they're not supporting they don't, they don't have to like support you financially. I'm saying they're not supportive of your goals and objectives. They're not making you better. They're, they're holding you back in the sense of they're toxic. Chop them out. And that's what I told him. I said, in 10 years, I've had so many people tell me that I couldn't do what I was set, setting out to do, that I couldn't do it. You know, And if you let those people inject themselves into your life, you're going to be carrying around their baggage with you and they're going to hold real estate in your head and they're going to prevent you from accomplishing your goals and objectives because they're parasitical. They're, they're unhappy or they, they're driven by jealousy, envy, greed. They want to tell you no, that you can't do something because what they're doing is they're projecting their internal voice onto you because they don't want to see you succeed. And this is the un... This is the unfortunate reality, is that there's a lot of people in your life and has been in my life that have, they would love to see me fail. They would love it. They say, oh, I'm so happy for you and I, I want you to, oh, man, it's so great. And then the second I turn around, what they're doing is they're crossing their fingers and, 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 cl and clasping their hands together going, Man, I hope that fucking guy just augers in because it'll make me feel better about myself. That's what they do. I'm not saying everybody, by the way. I'm just saying there's a lot of people in your life when you start to generate success that will be secretly hoping you fail. You got to work hard to chop those fucking people out of your life because if, if they're there, they're going 100%, they will they will drag you down and you, you have to have the people and you and I, I think are, are a good working relationship in this, in this example, which is there are times when I'm like a mentor to you and there are times when you're a mentor to me and we, we flip, like we go from top to bottom really easily in that, in that relationship. 69. You know, yeah. We crush it. But like, I look to you for a ton of different things, right? So I'm like, I ask you for advice. I, I talk to you about certain things and you do the same thing with me. You're like, hey dude, what are you doing here? Or what are you doing there? 
you and I can go from like team leader, right rifleman, like that. Depending on the topic, mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, I'm defaulting to Mike. He knows more about it than I do. I, I, don't, I don't need to fucking know everything. More importantly, I can't know everything. And, but there's one thing I, I would say is like building trust and rapport with somebody to the point where you can have that type of relationship is really, it's very impactful and powerful in your life. And there's never been a doubt where I don't think that you're authentic in your desire to see me succeed. Maybe you could, you could admit it to the camera today. Where... Can we talk about this bucket? So there's, <laughs> there's handies and buckets that I want to get out on the table. Let's make a transition because um, um, this is a shorter one. We want to wrap this up. But I'm, very, I'm interested in this topic. I, we've, we've evolved as people and we find different hobbies. We talk about hobbies all the time. It's very hard for us to have hobbies because we prioritize outside of our professional life, mm -hmm. uh, which is grinding and working and running business and doing all the things that's required, which is a lot of time. We allocate the leftover of our time to our family. Yeah. And, and most of the hobbies that I have involve in some form or fashion, my family. Like I just took my four-year-olds uh, hunting for the first time on an elk hunt. Uh, which was a disaster, but really impactful for them as a memory. Um, and I like picking up things. And one of the things that I recently picked up, one, because I, I've always been fascinated by it, but two, I have a little bit of allocation of time because there's certain things that I said I'm not going to do. Um, for example, I'm not going to rally drive. No. Because it's expensive. It's expensive and it's time consuming. And it's time consuming. You, like, like to be a Travis Pastrana, you have to be like Travis Pastrana. Yeah. Committed to the craft. I'm committed to field craft survival, uh, making people better prepared. And I got a sliver of allocation on this watch thing. And I, I thought about it when you brought up um, Eris watches. Um, we've always lived according to... I love when people are like, I'm unconventional because I'm a Green Beret. It's like, dude, you're more conventional because you're a Green Beret. You're more disciplined. You fall into routine more often, and you're efficient that way. You're optimized that way, which is why we're good at planning. You grew up in the military with watches on your wrist like me the entire time because that's how we succeeded. Ten minutes prior to being on time, right time, right place, right uniform, right? Um, I want to ask you a couple questions about watches and I'm going down the rabbit hole. I bought my first, I would say, collector watch. I've always had a G-Shock on since I was a little kid. A Timex, oh, yeah. G-Shock. Mm -hmm. And I've never been into fancy, expensive watches because I couldn't, simply because I couldn't afford them. Um, I'm in a better position where financially I can afford them. And I bought a um, Seiko CIA-ish yeah, Mac yeah, V-Sog yeah. watch. Yeah. I, I reached out to the S... The watches of espionage yeah. is yeah. his channel. And and he, I've talked to him for years, but I was like, hey man, I want to get an authentic watch. I reached out to John Stryker Meyer, mm -hmm. who gave me some um, education on Mac V Sog watches. And I believe it's the second generation, the first generation wasn't actually issued. It was guys were just buying that watch together. But the second watch, which is a Seiko model, was issued from the CIA to Mac V Sog operators. Mm -hmm. I found that watch on eBay. Anyways, I bought it. Really cool watch. What is your favorite watch from your military time? Um, by make, model, time period that you got it, and why? 
Uh, I wore I wore the Seiko dive watch for most most of the time. Actually, I went back and forth between that between a G Shock and a Seiko dive watch. Uh, Were you issued the G Shock or the yeah. Seiko? Yeah, the G Shock. Yeah. yeah. It used to yeah. be like in our pack, like your yeah. deployment packets, right? Yeah, and the G-Shock was just, it was so convenient because you, you know, press the front button and it turns the light on and you're like, it's it's digital, like you don't really, you can beat the shit out of it. It was really easy to wear. Uh, I kind of stopped wearing that watch, I guess, several years ago because like, we were always wearing like, you know, GPSs, you know, like wear a fucking wrist GPS or you'd have a GPS somewhere else. So you'd always have like a light somewhere handy with, you know, time for the most part. And I think I went from, I'll, I'll, I'll retrace my steps. G-Shock, Seiko to Santo, because that right. was issued. For a period of time I was issued. Yeah. I got issued a couple of Santos. Yeah. So then I would say G-Watt, like three through six, seven maybe. Uh, it was a Sunto. I wore, I wore like literally a Sunto that entire time. Mm. That 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 uh, compass watch. That big. It was huge. It's like this huge compass watch. And but I bought a Rolex Submariner because of the heritage, you know, SF's heritage within you know Vietnam and the submariner history I bought one of those on my way out of Iraq I'd been gone for over a year so I'd saved a ton of fucking money and we stopped in I think it was Dubai I think where, where we stopped was in Dubai on our way out and um, I bought one there that I still have and I still have the box papers everything I so went, after the invasion you bought it and yeah. then you still have that watch yeah that's really still cool. have it. It's it's. I wear it every now and again on every you know kind of podcast, but I like I wear it in like special events and things like that. But I I've I've kind of turned the corner on watches. Like I have the one that I'm that means a lot to me. It's actually the, out of all the material things in my life, which I don't really care too much about material things. That's the only thing that I really care about. So if everything burned down in my house, I don't care. Like I got. I can kill more elk, those elk heads on the wall, like whatever. But if I lost that watch, you know, I bought it with my best friend. You know, he and I actually bought him together. And um, he was killed uh, just about a year later. So I remember the point in time, like I remember the jewelry store, like he and I talking about him, like both pulling him out of the case. Like it's a very meaningful material possession to me because of, uh, that time coming out of the global war on terror, or, well, the invasion of Iraq. Um, and, and the invasion of Iraq was so meaningful. Like it was just so, it, it was so meaningful in my, my, my individual development, my professional development. And then that connection that I've had with, with my friend that it, 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 it's something that when I pull it out of the drawer, it just means something. It's like, it, it has gravity of meaning for me. But that's the, that, that is the, the most meaningful possession I have, period. Yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, several people have talked about this. Josh Smith, I've heard talk about it. Uh, I personally talked about um, the things that we hand down to our children. Mm -hmm. And even, even with my children now, I, I, same thing material-wise. I have, like, air-cooled Porsches. You know, people think, 
oh, it must be nice to be rich. Well, it's nice if you're rich, period, in any circumstance. Yeah. Just by the way, you should know it's, it's nice. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, if you want to go be rich, this isn't like a go make, make, make wealth fast fucking seminar. It's, if that's your goal to go do that because you, wanna, you want more meaning or whatever it might be within you know, more capital to invest in your life so you can have bigger adventures and different experiences, that's great. It should be celebrated. That's, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Congrats. But it's also, flip the coin, you can have just as deep and meaningful experiences in your life without wealth. So it's like, you know, flip the coin, make your own choice. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean more. You, you and I don't have any more meaning on this planet than anyone else just because we've got a couple extra more dollars than they do. Hmm. Maybe just a little bit yeah, slight meaning. But I, I think this has been a great conversation. And I want to like chop it there because I think it's important for us to. We got to hit. The I road. haven't even asked. You haven't even asked me about my watch situation. You said it. I, I didn't. You said you bought that CIA watch. Oh, that was that was one of them. I had more. No, we're talking about my watches. Some sometime when we. You don't like talking about watches. No, I, I I don't like talking about watches. Like I'll talk about your. I don't know, your eyebrows. I don't, fuck it. I don't know, dude. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, guys.